Cedar. If you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Matthew chapter 5? And as you're looking in your Bibles for that passage, let me welcome you to a new year. For some of you, it's just the beginning, and for some of you, you see the finish line right ahead of you. And for that, we're, we're thankful. We're looking forward to a great year here. Chapter 5. Now, when we talk about living the holy life, I think Jesus lays out for us in this chapter, which is part of the great Sermon on the Mount, uh, some have called it the Great Sermon of the King. And the chapter begins with what we know as the Beatitudes. The attitudes that we are to have are the attitudes that should characterize the follower of Christ. And as you look through that list, you see that humble and compassionate and meek and yearning for righteousness, merciful, being pure in heart, being peacemakers, and then being persecuted for the very righteousness that you practice. Now let me ask you, do you come by that naturally? I mean, when you're born in the world, do you come by each of these characteristics naturally? When you're 12 years of age, do you grow into these characteristics naturally? When you're 16, do you grow into these characteristics naturally? Well, let me just tell you, I hit 65 this year, and I can tell you this, you don't grow into these naturally. Something supernatural takes place within us. It's only through the power of the indwelling Spirit of Christ living in us that empowers us to live as Christ teaches us in this great chapter. In fact, if you look at the world, the world would say, assert yourself, stand up for yourself, be proud of yourself, elevate yourself, defend yourself if necessary. But not Christ. Christ has a different standard for his followers. And that standard comes through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We know that a relationship with Christ is our only hope of meeting the standards of the great sermon. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. You hear that? The old is gone. The new is here. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Living the Beatitudes is first and foremost about spiritual 
transformation. As Paul urged the followers of Christ in Romans 12, 2, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer yourselves as a what? Living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Then he goes on to say, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. Sounds like we need the transformation of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives to live out the Beatitudes. Then in verses 13 and 16, something just begins to take hold. I mean, Jesus has laid out this life that we're to live, that we're to live a life of holiness, if you will, a life of righteousness. And then he comes to verses 13, 14, and through 16. And that's what I want us to focus on tonight. He says, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. You see, the function of believers in the world can, can really be reduced to one single word, and that's influence. Whoever lives according to the Beatitudes is going to function in the world as salt and light. Christian character consciously or unconsciously affects other people. For better or for worse. So Jesus uses salt and light, two potent images to illustrate the influence believers are to have on the world in which they live. Those listening to this sermon would readily identify with the importance of salt and light. In the ancient world, both of these were highly valued. You are the salt of the earth. According to William Barclay, salt was connected in people's minds with special qualities. The Romans said that salt was the purest of all things because it came from the sun and the sea. The Christian is to be an example of purity. You see, the world in which we live continually lowers its standards. Standards of honesty, standards of diligence and work, standards of morality, all tend to be Lord. The Christian must be the person who holds to a higher standard of purity in speech, in conduct, and in thought. I like what James said in James 1, 27. 
religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. See, salt is not only purity, but it adds flavor. Do you like salt on your popcorn? I'm going to tell you a secret. My wife and I like popcorn. And so what I do is I get the light butter popcorn. And I put it in a bucket. And then I take hers out and put it in another bucket. And then she sprays the butter on there and puts a little bit of salt. While she's headed back to the couch to watch TV, I really empty the salt. <laughs> now, why do I separate it? Because if I do it the way I do it for myself, she's going to know how much salt I put on my own. Food without salt is a sadly tasteless thing. Christianity is to life what salt is to food. Christianity gives life flavor. Amen? So salt is not only pure, but salt adds flavor to life. Now, let's admit this. That's not how the world sees us as Christians. Precisely the opposite. In George Barna's new book, America at the Crossroads, he describes how the world views Christianity, specifically in the U.S. Our research shows that the churchless tend to consider Christians to be spiritually shallow, Churches to be restrictive and overprotective, antagonistic to science, simplistic or judgmental in their approach to sexuality, and unfriendly to those who doubt. They also find the excluvity, excluvity I can't get that, but I will later, of Christianity to be a turnoff. David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons revealed in their book, Good Faith, Being a Christian When Society Thinks You Are Irrelevant and Extreme, wrote this. Many historic Christian beliefs and practices are considered to be extreme by large proportions of Americans, especially among non-Christians. Listen to this. Behaviors such as donating money to religious causes reading the Bible silently in public, and even attending church or volunteering are examples of religious extremism. What most concerns people about extremism is the public expression of religion when beliefs and practices Entering, enter 
the public square. You see, the world today in the U.S., they don't see us as salt, adding flavor to life. Now, shame on us. It's not their fault. It's not their fault. Many church-going Christians today sadly agree with Robert Louis Stevenson, who once wrote in his diary, as if he was recording an extraordinary event, said this, I have been to church today and am not depressed. Did you hear that? I went to church today and I'm not depressed. Many church-going Christians, many church-going Christians today, they don't have the joy. They don't have the life that Christ has called us to live. We need to discover the lost radiance of the Christian life. In the worried world, the Christian should live peaceful. In a depressed world, the Christian should live a life of joy. As William Barclay says, wherever the Christian is, they must be a diffuser of joy. You are the salt of the earth. But then he says in verse 14, you are the light of the world. I, I, I read somewhere that this is perhaps the greatest compliment that Jesus could pay to his followers. You are the light of the world. For Jesus is admonishing them to be what he was. In John 9 we read, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. So Jesus is commanding his followers to be the light as he was the light. Now, now what does this mean? To us. What does this mean that you and I should be the light of the world? Look at verse 15. People don't light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Now, in, in the day in which this was written, people didn't have big lighters or matches. So when they got a fire going, they wanted to keep it going, folks, because when it went out, it was a lot of work to get a fire going again. So if they were going to leave the house, and their houses were dark, they had one small window, very small window in the house. So when they were going to leave the house, they didn't want the, they didn't want the bowl with the little wick floating around there. They didn't want it to be turned over and burn everything up so they would put it under a bowl to protect it, to keep it going. They didn't want to blow it out. They didn't want to flip the switch when they left. It might burn the whole house down. 
And Jesus is saying that the primary duty of light is to be seen, is to be seen, to penetrate the darkness and reveal what might be hidden in the darkness. So the follower of Christ does not live out their faith in secret. They live in it out saying, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to hide it on a bushel. I'm going to let it shine. Our faith will bring light into the darkness. Um, how many of you have ever been up to Top Pike Speak to the Summit House? I have a habit every time I go out at night. You know what, every time, and I, I kid you not, when I walk out of this chapel, it's just a habit. I look up there to see if the light is shining on Summit House. I, I don't know why I do that. When people come to visit, I always tell them, that's the light of on Summit House. This is what I notice, that the darker the night, the brighter that light is. I mean, when it's just dusk, you can't hardly see, you can't see it hardly. But as it gets dark at night, that line, light shines like a, a, a bright star hanging in the sky. Here's what I'm saying. In, as, as our world gets darker and darker and darker into this chasm called sin, we have this wonderful opportunity to let our lights shine brightly. Let me tell you what we know. That the path that the world is on leads to destruction. And many a person will be broken by their sin. And when we let that light shine, when we let that shine, light shine, we can have a wonderful influence on, their, on the people around us. And then in verse 16 he says, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So we come to this question. How do you let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds? Um, I, I, saw, I saw a movie and I just, just happened to see it called Evan the Almighty. Have you ever, have you ever seen that? Um, at first I thought it was kind of a spoof on Noah and this type of thing until I, I started watching it with, with a little closer eyes. And in that, uh, in that movie, um, Steve Carroll, I think that's his last name, plays Evan, and um, Morgan Freeman plays God. He makes a good God, by the way. So we come to the end, and everything is worked out, and we come to the end, okay? 
And uh, Steve Carroll, Evan, is with his family out in the field, kind of having a little picnic, right? And, and Steve Carroll sees Morgan Freeman, or God, standing under this tree that pops out of nowhere. Okay? And so he walks over, and they have this conversation. And, and he says to, he says to uh, Evan, he says, um, so you want to change the world? Yeah, I, I want to change the world. He said, do you know how you change the world? And Morgan Freeman has a stick. And in the dirt, he draws an A. And he said, Axe. And he draws an R of random kindness. Acts of random kindness. What does that spell out? The R. The R. And, and, and many of the readers that you're reading today about how we're going to reach the lost in our world, it's not going to be the way we did it in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, or even 2000. It's totally different. The game has changed, if you will. And how we reach lost people today is going to be different than perhaps any generation in, in, in the U.S. In, in our history. But this is what I believe. It can be done because we see it being done. I remember Cheryl and I were with Jenny down in, down in Albuquerque. I'll never forget that. Will you, honey? Never, ever forget that experience. Jenny and her husband both were drug dealers, drug addicts, and um, a church down there, Nazarene Church, reached out to them through their um, thrift store. Jenny would come in to get clothes. And they started reaching out to her until her life, and I don't have time to go into her whole life story, but her life was radically transformed by the grace of God. Grace of God. Now, you know what Jenny did? Every Thursday night, you know what she did? She collected all week hygiene packets. And the church would put them together and, and then she would have people bring in bags of clothes, and she'd have a big garbage bag of clothes. And there was a pizza place that would give her all the, un, the, picked up, the, the, the pizzas that had been ordered and, and weren't picked up. So there we were, Cheryl and myself, and, and I've I got I to be real honest with you folks, I've never done that type of thing in my life. We went out on the street, on a Thursday night in Albuquerque in the, in the toughest section of that city where prostitutes and addicts and street people were living. And this is the thing I'll never forget. I'll never forget it. They all knew Jenny. 
not simply by sight, but by name. Jenny, would you pray for me? And Jenny would hand out pizza, clothes, hygiene bags. Every Thursday night. Did you know Jenny took classes from us online for her minister's license? And today she continues to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the ark. Jenny was a modern day Noah. This summer I met a young lady by the name of Melissa. In, uh, she lives in Shippensburg, Pennsylvania. And Melissa got a, 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 on her heart for recovering addicts and people trying to get free from alcohol and this type of thing. And she came up with this idea of, of establishing a dry bar. Now get your head around that. It took, it took, I had to have her explain that to me three times before I ever got it. So she has this thing set up just like a bar. But no alcohol, no drugs, coffee, and Jesus. And her pastor told me, you will not believe how many people have come to Christ through the ministry of that dry bar. You see, what Melissa has built is a modern-day ark and she is a Noah. She's letting her light shine. She's being salt to her world. And, and, then, and then the Lord, he, he kind of finishes this up in, in an interesting way. He said, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and want to come to your church. Is that what Jesus said? And, uh, and, and want to pat you on the back. Or, or go away and talk about what a nice person you are. What, what does it say? It says, and praise your Father in heaven. You know what Jesus is saying? When you're salt and light, people will see the Father. People will see God. What about it? You think you can be salt and light? in the world in which we live. Can you be a modern-day Noah building an ark for someone that desperately needs to be saved? You see, holiness is just not to make us feel better. Holiness is to be lived out as salt and light. Let's stand together.
Father, as I read through this passage and even prepared this message, I was challenged to look into my own heart and life. To see if I'm really being salt and light in the world in which I live. And I have to admit to you, as I did, as I prepared this message, that it hasn't always been so. There have been times when I've, I've been short with people that I don't know. And I felt because I didn't know them and they didn't know me that there have been times that I've done a very dangerous thing, Heavenly Father, and I've given people a piece of my mind when I don't have much to give. So I confess to you tonight my own shortcoming at being the salt and light that you have called us to be. I pray that you would help me to be better. That you would give me more of you so that I live more like you. I pray for each of our students here tonight Thank you for them and their calling. And, and I pray that this will be a, a wonderful semester for them as they learn more and more about your word, about how to live your word out in our world. Bless our faculty. Thank you for these godly people that serve you and love you. And then, Father, I just pray that in the days ahead you would guide us and direct us in ways that we can't see for ourselves, but you already know. And so, Lord, we commit this day to you and we commit this year to you. And above all else, we want to be salt and light. This I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. God bless you. Go in his peace.